January 2nd, and that was the week that we had closed down for COVID. Um, and so this was, that was when we kind of did the online and we did one of uh, Jan Johnson's kind of um, meeting God in scripture kind of kind of deals on, on Zoom. But I was going to do this sermon <clears throat> back then. And I mean, just, just the recap of the recap of the Trinity, we have, we've gone deep on this thing. And I'm, I'm really thrilled that we've, we've kind of navigated all this territory regarding the Trinity. Um, I, I think that this is, man, that's probably being a little bit dramatic, saying it's the most important sermon series we've ever done. It's really important for us to have that context, that background, that idea of the Trinity kind of giving shape and color to everything else in, in, our, in our faith and our spirituality. Um, and so this, this last sermon, this kind of anti-Trinity sermon, actually came out of a podcast that I was listening to back in November. So in November, we're kind of in the middle of this sermon series, and there was a podcast. Um, anybody heard of the Holy Post podcast? Nah. So the Holy po- Post podcast is kind of spearheaded by a guy named Phil Vischer, and Phil Vischer was the creator of VeggieTales. At least you guys, I know you all know VeggieTales, right? He creates VeggieTales. He's got a buddy who's named Sky Jatani. Sky Jatani is um, is is a uh, just a thoughtful kind of Christian, wise, uh, intelligent kind of guy. So you kind of got like this silly VeggieTales kind of goofball, and then you got Sky Jatani, and they kind of have this conversation together, and they kind of half of the podcast this is probably too much information, by the way. Half the podcast is kind of silly. Christianity. They have a segment called News of the Butt in which they just like find random stories about animal butts or whatever and they just kind of, um, so it's kind of like half of the podcast is kind of silly, you know, kind of informational than two guys. And then the second half of the podcast, Sky Jatani, typically will interview whether it's a pastor, a thought leader, an author, a teacher, something like that, um, and kind of have a thoughtful conversation. So, if you're looking for a new podcast to listen to in 2022, I, I recommend this one. It's, again, it's kind of fun. It's kind of light if you want something just in the background. And then the, the, the interview towards the end is, is really thoughtful. So Jitani's interviewing this guy, and he's kind of on the podcast to promote his new book, this book called Live No Lies. Um, and this was actually one of the books. I don't know. I Anyway, he's promoting his book called Live No Lies, uh, and it's, I know it's hard to see, recognize and resist the three enemies that sabotage your peace. And he's promoting this book, and in the podcast, he kind of like uses this throwaway line, but he, the, the, the three enemies are the devil, the world, and the flesh. Let me say that in order, though. The devil, the flesh, and the world, right? And he says the devil, the flesh, and the world form almost what would be like an anti-trinity or a counter-trinity or an un-trinity. And I, I don't know, like, and that obviously in the middle of the Trinity series, I'm like, that caught my ear. And I'm thinking like, oh, that'd be a really interesting sermon to think as we thought so deeply about the Trinity, what would be like an anti-trinity? What would be a counter-trinity? Um, and so then I, I picked up his book and I, I read it and it was, I, I would give it I don't know, like three and a half out of five stars. It's a good book. Um, it's got a lot of kind of culture references and it's thoughtful and he's kind of writes from a real modern perspective and it's real applicable and he has these three, you know, main points about the devil, the flesh, and the world. 
And so what I want to do this morning <clears throat> is I want to kind of use a lot of, I guess, at least that framework from this book, The Devil, the Flesh, and the World, as just kind of a, just kind of the framework to, to do this teaching. Um, and then I think, um, yeah, I think I just kind of want to use that. And, and like I said, I had done this sermon back in, for January 2nd, and so I was thinking we could think about the devil, the flesh, and the world this morning, which are three New Testament concepts, right, that seem to be in the conversation of, of things that are actively corrupting our minds and our hearts and our souls away from the loving presence of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? And again, I'll use a lot of material from this book, uh, so I want to just give all credit John Mark Comer, he's a pastor up in, or he was a pastor. He just retired. He was a pastor up in Portland at a church called Bridgetown. Uh, he's not doing the church anymore. He's not, I don't know if retired is, is okay. he's good looking though too. And it, you know, he wears like cool jean jackets and whatnot. And so I'm got, and he has great hair and it's even longer. It's almost like Brian's length now too. So, I mean, it's, it's what happens when you retire. <laughs> you get a jean jacket and long hair. <laughs> And he's, I mean, I, I, I've kind of heard and observed him over the past couple of years and, and very thoughtful, wise, intelligent. Um, I have a respect for him as a pastor too. You know, somebody who's, who's kind of done it. Anyway, enough about John Mark Comer, enough about his book. I use his book kind of as, as the context, the, the background, but obviously I'll, I'll mix in a lot of my own thoughts and, 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 and ideas on it too. So let's talk about the devil. Got a Bible? Let's do it. Matthew chapter 4. You're probably familiar with this, this uh, passage, but we can read this together. Jesus gets baptized. He gets the approval of the Father. He gets the love of the Father. Immediately, the Bible says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their, in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. When we talk about the devil, I understand that often the kind of image that comes to mind or some of the images that come to mind might be the little red pitchfork guy that sits on one shoulder and, you know, the angel sits on the other shoulder. Maybe at some level it's, it's like some really weird kind of crazy demonic being um, the bottom picture, anybody recognize the bottom picture, what that is from? The Passion. 
Yeah, the passion. And, and when Mel Gibson directed that film, uh, that was actually a female that played the devil. Um, and it was kind of a, an interesting twist the way that he, because oftentimes we just think about devil and male um, in male terms. And so he kind of twisted that a little bit. Um, but when we think about the devil, or if you were to go and talk to people about the devil, you know, again, this kind of mythological creature, it seems, um, it seems really regressive. It can seem irrelevant. It can seem just flat out silly, right? Hey, but the devil or, um, but here's, here's what I would say is when, when we think about the devil, right? If we are going to put our faith in God, in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, then it is proper and necessary to listen to them when they point to a counter-reality of evil, lies, demons, and the ultimate adversary that Jesus himself faces, which is the devil. While we are here on this earth, we cannot say, oh, I have God and I have Jesus and I have the Spirit. Oh, no, the devil, that's, that's like old mythological and that doesn't, that doesn't matter anymore. We don't need to pay attention to that, right? You can't have one without the other. C.S. Lewis says, and, and maybe you've heard this quote before, but C.S. Lewis says that there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. Now, Lewis wrote this back probably in the 30s or 40s, and man, this is even so true today, even more so, I would say. One is to disbelieve disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. This bottom line, too, is just fascinating. He says there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by uh, by Satan, right? Now, you and I probably live if, if we were to look at Lewis's words, we probably live up here is to disbelieve in the existence of demons, evil, spirit, you know, the devil, those sorts of things, right? We, for the most part, think I'm a nice person. I come to church. I focus on Jesus. I pray to God, all those sorts of things. And we don't really pay any attention to the devil. We just think that he's, yeah, I mean, it's, I know it's mentioned in the Bible. It's kind of there, but that's not really anything to think about, right? And what's, what Lewis says here at the bottom too There's no neutral ground in the universe, right? This church that we're sitting in right now, where we're giving our thoughts and our hopes and our attention to Jesus, is being claimed by God, and Satan is at the same time counterclaiming this moment. He's trying to distract us. He's trying to make us irritable. He's trying to make us think about things that are irrelevant, right? We know that there is this battle that is always happening And we have to say this, we have to really acknowledge this about the devil. The devil is a very real, intelligent being hell-bent on disintegration, taking what is whole and fracturing it. That's all the devil wants to do. He wants to take what what is whole and fracture it. And he does this through lies, deceit, twisting reality, distorting truth, perverting love. These are some of the things we've talked about over the last couple of weeks as, as we've thought about what's happening in the garden, how Satan was able to infiltrate the garden, how he was able to, to twist reality. He was able to pervert the love. He was able to create um, deceit and, and all those sorts of things. It's the same thing that he's doing to Jesus when he's tempting Jesus, right? 
He's trying to lie to Jesus, to deceive him, to twist scripture, to twist reality, to distort things so that he could take the oneness that Jesus has with his father and disintegrate it. Take what's whole and split it, fracture it. It's exactly what Satan's always trying to do, right? Peter understood this, right? This is Peter, Jesus is his, his main man, Peter. Um, Peter says, be careful. Watch out for the attacks. Watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion looking for some victim to tear apart, right? Again, I think that most of us come to church, myself included. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, thinking that just because I'm the pastor, I'm on any different plane. We come to church and we kind of give our attention and our thought to Jesus and we pray to God. And we don't really understand that there is an enemy of our souls who is hell-bent on fracturing us, on disintegrating us, on diminishing us, on breaking us down, on lying to us and twisting reality and distorting and perverting all that is good and beautiful in this world. And I think at some level, we have to give credit to Satan that he is doing this and he is actively an agent of entropy in our own lives, right? And I, again, I know that it kind of gets like, oh, that's kind of weird, Eric. You're getting all like spiritual. And but we have to say that. We have to acknowledge that, right? This is exactly what he wants to do. Um, now, I, I want to give us a little bit of a counter practice or something to, to think about as we encounter the devil in our lives, as we encounter attacks, as we encounter um, the, the lies, the deceit, the twisting of reality, and the practice that I would, I would kind of engage in would be to have a repertoire of key scriptures available at your disposal, right? And I know that this is a little bit cliche just to have Bible verses memorized. Um, that was just a fancy way of saying Bible memorization, having a repertoire of key scriptures available at your disposal. I just mean Bible memorization, right? Honestly, if you are going to counter the lies the twisted truth that Satan is trying to bring you, just as we see Jesus do, right? It's, it's the oldest, you know, it's the oldest uh, play in the book. Just as we see Jesus do, Jesus just says, well, here's what the scripture actually says, right? Here's what the scripture actually says. And this doesn't have to be a lot. This could be a little. Um, but just having something at your, at your disposal, whether it's verses about your identity in Christ right, about who you are in Christ, whether it's verses to counter the narrative of Satan, whether it's verses such as 1 Corinthians 13 about love, or the fruit of the Spirit, or, the, or maybe the Beatitudes of Jesus, or the words of Jesus, but having a repertoire of key scriptures available at your disposal. A lot of folks, we come to church, we don't even have like two things if Satan were to lie to us to say like, well, I could, I could actually quote something against you, Satan. I have something stored with, within my heart that's ready to go, right? So when we think about the devil, kind of going back to this, very real, intelligent being, hell-bent on disintegration. And again, kind of a counter-practice, just having some key scriptures available at our disposal, some, some scripture memory. Maybe as you roll into 2022, that becomes a little bit of a, 
I always say that the best time to do resolutions for 2022 is February, is my resolution month, because we come out of the holidays, especially this time with all the sickness and COVID and madness that's been, and you come out of the holidays all, speaking of disintegrated and fractured and frazzled, and then you have this kind of transition month, and then you say, on oh, February, okay, I want to start some practices that I want to carry on moving forward. So maybe this is one of those practices that you say, hey, I want to carry this on moving forward. I want to have memorize a scripture a month, right? And I just kind of want to repeat that and have that printed out and ready to go. I'm talking too much about this. Ready to go for the next one? The flesh. If you got a Bible, <clears throat> we're going to go into Galatians chapter 5. The flesh. Now, in this whole letter to this church in Galatia, and I think we've, I think at one point we, we did this, this book as a church. Um, Paul is not very happy at, at these churches that are kind of gathered around Galatia. And part of it is because they've given in to what's called the flesh. And I'm going to read a couple verses as you kind of, See up there, 13, 16, and 17, 19 and 20, through 21. And then we're going to jump over to 6, because Paul, Paul talks about this quite often. And, and there, you might have in your translation to sinful nature, um, which is the same as the flesh. So if you see sinful nature, is that what it says in, in your... So, so you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature... The flesh, okay. So mine says sinful nature. sinful. So sinful nature in the flesh, and I'll, I'll give a definition for this on the next slide, but let's read these verses first. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh, of the sinful nature, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, um, and dissent, selfish ambition, I got a little crease on my page, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then if you want to just kind of switch over chapter 6, two verses in chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. People reap what they sow. Those who sow to please their sinful nature, their flesh, from that nature will reap destruction. Those who sow to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Oh boy, here we go.
Now, this word, the sinful nature, the flesh, um, it would, uh, here, a couple, we're going to define it in a few different ways, so we're going to look at it a few different ways. It denotes our, our carnal appetites, our, our animalistic nature that kind of just does whatever it wants, when it wants, no restraints, kind of there's a part of us that intuitively knows some things just aren't right, right? It's, it's, the, it's the idea that when you have little kids and one little kid is sitting in a chair and they get up and the other kid goes and takes a seat and it's just like, you just don't do that. That's just not right. You just don't take somebody's seat, right? That's a real base example. Here's an, a, a quote from Eugene Peterson, how he translates the flesh. Eugene Peterson, the, the message Bible translator, he says that it's the corruption that sin has introduced into our appetites and instincts, right? Into our appetites and instincts. I like how John Mark Comer puts it in his book where he says that our strongest desires aren't always our deepest, right? We could say the, the loudest desires are often our most shallow versus the significant and meaningful desires that we really know to be true. So Eugene Peterson, speaking to him, as he translates some of these passages, right, those verses 19 through 21 where he lists the acts of the sinful nature and we're kind of thinking, like he said some wild ones in there, you're like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty good on that list. Like uh, orgies, not doing that. I'm I'm good on that one. what else did he say? Debauchery? No, that's not in my, I'm not doing idolatry or witchcraft, right? So you kind of look at that list and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good on that list. But I like the way that Peterson takes a lot of those concepts that Paul was talks about, and then he, he translates them for us to understand. So he says that it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Think about the flesh is trying to get your own way all the time. He says, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits. Time out. Uh-oh. Now I'm ready to preach. Now you guys are going to get some of the pre- <laughs> Ready for it. I'm ready for it. Again, we were talking about it earlier today. We salute the Raiders. For a great a great season, but that was the thirty second thirty second uh, pause. Uh, which where is that in the list? The the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you. You know, if you use your freedom in this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. And so Peterson kind of takes it. You know, again, orgies, drunkenness, debauchery idolatry, witchcraft, and he kind of just puts it in, in, in more modern terms. And we look at some of those things and we're like, yeah, I, I, I see that. I see that in, in, in this world. I see that around me. I see that in myself, right? 
And have you ever participated in anything on that list and thought to yourself, man, now that was a great moment in my life. I was thinking about this one in the middle, a brutal temper, right? Imagine thinking to yourself when, you know, with little kids or at some point in your life, man, I had a raging temper and I would yell at my kids and they knew exactly what to do. And if my wife got in the way, I'd yell at her too. And the, the family knew not to mess with me because my temper was so strong. And I was so proud of that time in my life because I was so, that, right? We think about all these things and, and this, this is the flesh, right? Trying to get our own way all the time. Our strongest desire or our loudest desires are not our deepest desires. So then we think about this, and, and, and Comer really kind of brings us home. I, thought, I really like the way that he, he did this. He ties in Galatians 6, 7 through 9, which we just read. And he says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So what Comer says is this, which I thought was really interesting. He says this, he says, you sow a thought and you reap in action, right? The, the way that we begin to think affects how we act. We know that's true, right? You sow an action, you reap another action. You sow some actions, you reap a habit. You sow some habits, you reap a character. And you sow a character and you reap a destiny, either towards destruction in the flesh or freedom in the spirit. Right? To quote our main man, C.S. Lewis, one more time. C.S. Lewis kind of says it like this. He says that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you the part that chooses into something a little different than what it was before. Taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing toward the one state or another. It's just like what he was saying about every square inch and every split second is being claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Each and every choice that we make is either turning the central part of us towards the spirit, towards freedom in the spirit, or towards destruction of the flesh. So, a counterpractice for this one would be this, confession or accountability someone in our lives who has authority to check us. And I would, I say, you know, I, I would say probably beyond your spouse, right? Because oftentimes when our spouse goes to check us, uh, that typically doesn't always <laughs> work out well. But somebody in our life who, who can look at us and say, you're wrong in this area, or you're out of line in this area, or you need to adjust to this area, or you need to change in this area right? Somebody, again, confession who you can confess to and say, man, I'm struggling with this, or I need accountability in this, but somebody in our lives 
who can look at the fleshly side of us, that side of us who just wants to do whatever we want to do and kind of check us on that area. One more. The devil, the flesh. Need more, more what? Okay, a knife. What's going on in there? Mm. Um, the world. Let's talk about the world. Let's end up by talking about the world. Anybody seen this sticker? Seen it on a car somewhere, right? Good old knot of this world. You guys want to hear a little, little side story about knot of this world? Um, I, I was trying to figure out, like, where did it come from? Where did it start? I, I couldn't figure it out. But the brand itself was bought by ladies, the, like the Hobby Lobby empire. There was a nephew, I think, to the Hobby Lobby empire who started a Christian bookstore in the, in the Midwest. And part of his purchase accusations was this brand, not of this world. I think they do the stickers and the hats and the t-shirts and all that sort of stuff. So it's now part of the Hobby Lobby empire. So it could be not of the Hobby Lobby world. I don't know. <laughs> We've seen this sticker, though, this not of this world. And, and this is taken from Jesus' words in John. And then John kind of paraphrases it when he writes his letter later on. Jesus in John 15 says, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Later in John 17, Jesus says, um, I have given them, and he's speaking about the disciples, I have given the disciples your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world, right? This is where this comes from, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. John, later on, in, as, as he's kind of, you know, John wrote this gospel here, and as later on, as he's probably meditating or thinking about Jesus' words here, he writes this letter. And he talks about the world in, in you know, his letter, 1 John chapter 2. This is out of the Passion Translation. He says, don't set your affections, don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in loving things of the world. For the love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance, None of these things come from the Father, but from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away. But those who love to do the will of God live forever. So how would we describe the world? How, is, how would we think about the world? Here's how I would say it. Here's, I, would, I would say there's a progression here, too. The devil, real, evil, bent on destruction, disintegration through lies, disorder through deception, right? The flesh is when we give in to those lies, when we believe those lies, when we succumb to those temptations or appease those loudest desires, right? The world is a group of individuals living by the flesh, creating a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that become mainstream and institutionalized, right? 
The world is what happens when the flesh grows company, right? It's what Christians are called to be separated from and stand against. Now, a lot of good preachers have made a fine career railing against the world, right? The world's out there and it's going to destroy you and you got to stand against the world and you got to fight against the world and the world does this and the world. I'm just hearing my dad preach sermons as I was a kid. You know, the, the world, that's worldliness, Eric. And, you know, that's the world. Um, the, the world is, it's, it's all of us when we give in to the flesh, right? And I would say that when, when you have a group of people who have just kind of decided to give in to their loudest desires, right? As Eugene Peterson says, getting your way all the time. When you have a group of people that are orienting their lives like that, I would say that the sum is greater than the parts, right? Just as I would agree that in this church, people who are trying to orient their lives, living by the Spirit, the sum of this church of people trying to live by the Spirit is greater than its individual parts, right? That's why it doesn't matter if like three people here or 30 or 300, because it's not just one plus one plus one, it's one plus one plus one plus the Spirit which that makes it this, Jesus says, anywhere there's like two folks, like let's make it real small here, two folks in my name, I'm there with them. That sum is greater than, the two, than the, just the one plus one. So the world is what happens when the flesh grows company. Listen, we're called to stand against the world, right? I mean, th- th- there's a lot of madness that we see in the world these days as Christians, as believers in Jesus. It's fascinating. One of the things that Comer does in his book is he spends a lot of time talking about human sexuality and kind of the way that the world presents sexuality in our day. And at one point he makes a point, he says, I have to talk about this because the world is so loud in this, right? And the Bible's so loud in talking about sexuality as well too, right? And he says, we have to, at some point, stand up against it and say, this is, this, is, this is like what God's word says. Like when I read the Bible and when I study the Bible, when I look at the words of Jesus, this is the ethic, the, the value, this is what I'm called to, to live like. And when the world clashes with that, I have, to, I have to have something here to hang on to. So the counter practice, which you are all getting gold stars for today, super gold stars, is really, and again, I'm sorry for my counter practices not being like, you know, more, is, is just the church, right? It's a, it's a place where we gather together, right? Comer says in his book, he says, I'm all in for Sundays, now more than ever. Think about that. Just think about that first. I'm all in for Sundays, now more than ever. After dozens of hours of secular, kind of God-devoid programming coming into our minds all week long, Netflix, Amazon, social media, um, news, whatever, he says, we need the anchor of Sunday gatherings to recenter our minds on truth and open our hearts back to God for healing and renewal. And that's what we need, right? Is we need the gathering of the church in which we center our minds, and we come together and we say, okay, what, is, what does it look like to, to live by the Spirit, right? To hold up the practices of Jesus, to resist the devil, to stand against the Word is what we, is what we are looking for on Sunday mornings. So, 
That is the anti-trinity. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil, the flesh, and the world. Let me close this in a word of prayer. I got a couple discussion questions, which I think we have a few minutes for this morning. Um, so let me say it close in a word of prayer, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll do some discussion. And the image, God, that's coming to me as I'm thinking about these, this, this concept, the devil, the flesh, and the world. And again, one of the dominant images from this Trinity series is what table do I want to sit down at? The loving presence of the Father, Son, and Spirit inviting me to the table. The deceptive, perverted, lying table of the devil, the flesh, and the world. just disintegrating me. It's really, the, it's really these choices that we have to make day in and day out. Help us, Lord, to, to, to live, to move our hearts towards the Father, the Son, the Spirit in all things that we do. We love you. Amen. A couple questions. You know, we, we talked about this question last week during our, our little home gathering. I would like to come back to this. I'd like to hear maybe from a few, of, a few of you. What do you feel the Holy Spirit spoke to you over the course of this Trinity series? We're going we're gonna to put this behind after this morning. Um, what was most important for you to consider this morning? The devil, the flesh, or the world, and why? He's scared. It's probably Jeanette trying to kiss him. That's probably what's going on over there. Don't blame that. Um, is there a counter practice? I was at a joke about the devil in there too, but I was like, no, oh, that's my daughter. I can't say that. <laughs> is there a counter practice, scripture memory, accountability, church that you feel especially drawn to and why? Um, in what ways do you see yourself as not of this world? What distinctions are evident in your life? And the last one is, do you like veggie tales? If you just want to talk about veggie tales for a little bit too. So I think what would be helpful is, because we are a little bit of a smaller group, is maybe for us to kind of get up and move around. And that way we could have some, some discussion. But let's just take a few minutes um, to discuss these questions. So if you got to get up and move next to somebody or closer to somebody, um, do that. And then we'll, we'll discuss this together.